And welcome back to the second half of today's programme. I'm now joined in the studio by singer, songwriter and musician Paul Byrne, who in fact discovered Sinead O'Connor, but we'll touch on that later. Uh, a very good afternoon to you, Paul. Hey, Johnny. Um, how are you? Good, very good. Yeah, pleasure to have you here with us. Thanks a lot. And thanks for taking the time to come into the studio. Ah, sure, what else would we be doing? Yeah. So first of all, <laughs> let's go way back to the very beginning, uh, if you're feeling nostalgic. Uh-huh. What got you involved in music initially? What, what, what inspired you? Well, very musical family. Um, my father played piano. My mother's family were very musical. Her father was a violinist uh, and, a, and a drummer in a, a Dublin Sunday afternoon tea dance band, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've two older sisters and... Uh, the very first group I was in was with them <laughs> uh, playing playing Billy Don't Be a Hero at, uh, <laughs> yeah. up in St. Anne's School in Rohini when I was about seven or eight. Uh, uh, when I was in school, we had a great, uh, a great teacher called Fergus Shields who, who started a, a jazz band in the school and gave me a chance. Actually, it was more than jazz. He played a lot of boogie-woogie, which was almost rock and roll, so yeah, yeah, suited yeah. me as a drummer, you know, because I wasn't really into the jazz thing. But uh, he got he got me. It was the first time I ever got to play with musicians, and he was he was an amazing pianist, you know. And he, It was funny, because he was probably in his 40s. There might have been a bass player who was about 17, and then me, the drummer, who was about 10 or, or 11, you know. So it was every age group, but music brought us together, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just always there, you know. Yeah. I used to sit, sit, and watch Top of the Pops on a Thursday night, and play every song on the on the yeah. side of the chair, you know. So yeah, you probably played on, on school books. Everything. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I used to get wrapped on the knuckles all the time yeah, for for playing with pencils. And <laughs> just couldn't, couldn't stop. Even yeah. my wife still wraps me on the knuckles. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. always a beat going on. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be careful of the steering wheel when you're tapping on that when you're driving as you well. You do. There's yeah, good sound yeah. off it though. <laughs> yeah, there is actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what? What? Uh, which musicians or bands or artists inspired you? Like when you were, you know, that eight, age, nine, ten, or yeah. I suppose the Beatles. You know, oh, Ringo right. would have been a huge influence okay and then I suddenly I think somebody got me a, a Deep Purple album and uh, actually I think after the Beatles it was Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells which sort of just blew my mind in terms of because it wasn't pop music it was this is what is this you know oh, yeah, I used yeah. to go to bed uh, with a speaker behind my pillow listening to Tubular Bells every night really? was about 11 or 12 so <laughs> yeah. uh, I knew every every instrument as it came in and then somebody got me a Deep Purple record, and that's, that's when I really discovered the world of drumming, you know. Of course. Ian yeah. Pace was just such a genius. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I suppose, so you're going from the pop of the Beatles to the rock of, of Deep Purple and everything in between. It's uh, it's when you're a drummer, there's, there's just so much you can do, you know, so yeah, many influences yeah. you can draw from, you know. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of drumming, who, who would you... Who would you um, uh, in your opinion, who would be the best drummer in the world? Well, you see, I'm not a jazzer, so, you know, the jazzers would have all their right. their favourites. Um, you know, I just, I, I followed different drummers at different times, you know. Okay. I, I, I had a big uh, man crush uh, on the, the drummer for, from Echo and the Bunnymen, Peter Freitas, for a long time, because uh, uh, I was lucky enough, I was in a, a sort of a post-punk band when I was in my teens called Deaf Actor, and uh, we got to support them in the old McGonagall's. Uh, oh, McGonagall's, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, when, the Echo, when Echo and the Bunnymen brought their first album, at Crocodiles, it just blew everyone's minds, you know. Um, mm. Especially if you, if you were in that sort of vein of following you 2 and, and those sort of new bands, Echo and the Bunnymen seemed to have something different to everyone. And 
to to see him play live and and the way he hit the drums, it sort of right. took me from the sort of laid back American approach to really hard hitting attacking approach to drumming, which like the hard rock. Well, it was, yeah. so I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even call it hard rock. It was yeah. it was it was he'd taken I suppose he'd gone from punk in he'd taken punk drumming into a sort of a pop vein. So right. it was very staccato, very very tough, but very musical at the same time. Okay, okay. Um, and uh, I was a fan. I was always a fan of, of Larry Mullen's work in the studio, you know. And um, obviously, I was I was watching Larry from, live from a very young age, and we toured quite a lot with them in Into a Uh And then Mel Gaynor, I think, was the sort of the master of all of those bands. He's the the Simple Minds drummer. Uh, he he had been a session drummer in London. Okay. who got brought into Simple Minds I think on their third album when they really needed a hit record and the producer said we need we need a master in the studio mm-hmm. uh, and they brought this drummer in and uh, he turned out to be he came I think he was a disco session drummer but he turned out to be one of the best rock drummers in the world when he was let loose you know yeah yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and I've seen him quite a few times okay Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. What about Cozy Powell or Mick? Oh well, yeah, Cozy Powell. I mean, uh, if any dance with the devil. If any of my own neighbours uh, from Foxfield and Rohini are listening, they'll remember uh, sitting on my garden wall every night. I used to. That was my practice. Your practice. Was, my practice was Cozy Powell's dance with the devil. And yeah, 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 yeah. You know, sometimes I think I, w- I think I was on my own, and then I'd, I'd finish playing, and I'd hear a big cheer outside, and then there'd be a bunch of kids sitting on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when did you actually start songwriting? Songwriting, uh, I suppose, uh, in the early years of Intuanua, um, you know, it was a big band. We were trying to, to to write songs as a collective, and it was just a very slow process. Okay. And uh, I just said to hell with this, and I started writing songs. And uh, eventually, uh, myself and Martin Clancy emerged as the songwriting team in, in the in the band and we, we wrote all the songs for the last okay. co-wrote all the songs on the last two albums with okay. a little bit of help from, from Jack Dublin here and there Okay Yeah uh, And when you write the songs um, what, what comes out do you have to have a good day to do it and, and do you write this, the, the lyrics over the melody or vice versa Oh, they come in every, they in come, every way. It just comes as it comes. You know, I keep, keep the the iPhone's great. You know, you're sitting there in the car and, and, a, and a melody or a hook comes and you just record it there and then and, and uh, I, I have my memo uh, app in the iPhone is full full of ideas and then when I sit I have a little home studio and then I go and I, I sit down and go through the ideas and go oh let's try and put that one, work that one together and I put okay. a beat down and a bass yeah. line and start building it so it's, it's obviously a lot quicker these days Much than quicker. it was back in the, the early Much 80s quicker. when we didn't have the apps and all absolutely. that stuff absolutely if, if yeah. in those yeah. days you had to be able to play piano or guitar yeah. and, and work yeah. out the song and sit down and play it to people whereas, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Or, or in a band well I, I was never much of a guitarist or, or a pianist but I could always, you know, I could always sit down with the bass and, and, and sing the song over a bass line and, and the band could take it from there, you know. Right, OK. Uh, which is, which is I, okay. I needed the band. I wasn't ever that sort of a songwriter. And yeah. in fact, on my solo album, I was lucky I was, I, was, I was running a studio at the time with Conor Brady, who's probably one of the best-known guitarists in the country. So any time I had an idea for a song, I'd just sit down with Connor and he'd take out the guitar and he'd go, oh, yeah, you're singing over an A there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> OK. And, yeah. uh, and yeah. uh, he... he he played everything on the album practically bar the drums and vocals you know okay, okay. <laughs> yeah um, I know you, we all know your speciality is drums mm. uh, and, and the voice the velvet voice as well mm. um, and you, you, you said you, you could you know touch on the bass guitar um, but did you actually play the, the piano or, or, or the no, acoustic no, no all never, I ever did was never. fiddle no no, no, not, e- not, no not even fiddle 
no, no. I said all I ever did was fiddle, fiddle on them, you know. Oh, fiddle on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, in yeah. fact, most of the piano players uh, who've come in to play my stuff have hated it because it's it's over rhythmic, you know. Right. It's very okay. fast fingers flying around the place uh, and layering it up on the computer to something that sounds great, but it's impossible to play by one person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. Tell us. What happened? How, how did that all... Uh, when Sinead was 15, she was uh, she was in a home down in Grace Park Road, a home for, for troubled girls. And my sister Jeanette uh, was, she was doing a psychology degree and she was uh, doing work experience, uh, which had led to more or less a full-time position as, as the, the house mother at night, mm-hmm. um, minding all the girls at night, you know, giving the nuns a break. And uh, she started a, a choir with them to keep them busy because music was her thing and she, she thought well I know how I'll keep them interested I'll, I'll get them singing and they, they loved it and Sinead of course started to really shine and she organised for the I think one of the ones to get Sinead a guitar uh, and then she then she uh, she decided when, when then she was getting married the following year and she wanted her choir to be to sing at her wedding and at the night before the wedding we had a rehearsal in Health Church and I heard Sinead sing and we had into a new had just started, and we had recorded two songs, no vocals, just music. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the songs was given to a girl our guitarist knew called Leslie Dowdall, and I gave the other yeah. track to Sinead. I grabbed Sinead outside the church and said, "Listen, would you be interested in in doing some recording?" And uh, Sinead uh, took the tape rang me the next night and said uh, I've uh, I've written the lyrics <laughs> like straight away and so uh, we which, which song was this one? this was a song called Take My Hand which actually yes, became yes, a, 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 an Intunua song a few years ago a few years later um, I've actually if you go on the on the Intunua website there's a there's a the history of the band there and I've actually when I talk about this uh, I've actually put in uh, Put in the, the 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 file. You can actually hear her original demo, okay, uh, with the band, lovely, uh, with this lovely. beautiful innocent voice singing over this poppy backing track. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, when we did it within two an hour, uh, the producer who was working with us decided to slow it down to an eight minute clannet type track, which didn't suit us and was totally off the, you know, not where we were going. Um, but um, the Sinead version, it still t- stands the test of time. In fact, it's it's got a, a lot of a couple few thousand listens on on SoundCloud. Wow, wow. Yeah. Well, she's down and she's she's in the credits as co- co-writer. She is, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she is. She is indeed. Um and she's been very successful ever since we have to give her credit for that as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she she wanted she was 15, she wanted to jo- to join the band. She used to turn up at our rehearsals. Really? She used yeah. to follow us into bars in town. She wanted to hang out and you know, we're just going. Sorry, Sinead. You know, it just—it's just not going to work. You're too young. Um, and as it happened, then she was. She went to boarding school for a year. Uh, so we didn't see her for a year, and we we moved on. We signed a record deal, and lo and behold, we're working in a, a rehearsal rooms down in uh, the in Temple Bar, the, the you know the Temple rehearsal rooms. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hear uh, this noise coming from next door, and it's Sinead in her first band, Tontop McCoot. She'd quit school and she joined a band. <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, and the next thing I heard was uh, Ensign Records were over looking at her, 
so we all went to support her the few gigs that, that we heard the record companies were coming and then the word was out that they, were on, they weren't interested in the band they only wanted Sinead yeah. Uh, yeah, and they took her. And in fact, our violinist at the time, Steve Wickham, he he gave her a lot of help uh, in the early years of her record deal. You know, okay. advising her on, on who to work with and stuff. Yeah, he, he got nice. her to work with Carl yeah. Wallinger from the Water Boys. You know. Okay. Yeah. 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 Very nice. Very nice. Now into Anua. Yeah. Um, we'll touch on that in, in a in a couple of minutes. Um, but first of all, we're going to play a track from them. Uh, the track is the Long Acre. And I know you wrote this with uh, Martin Clancy back in '87, mm. when immigration Im- immigration was at its uh, peak. Emigration, yeah. Emigration. Th- yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, d- do you want to just t- touch o- on the song because uh, you've got some experience on that, haven't you, in, from the past? Well, it's funny when you, uh, yeah. th- this song—it's it's stood the test of time, or it's, it's come full circle. You know, uh, at the time, I mean, I, w- the, I was living in Hoth at the time, and I would say. 50 or 60 percent of my contemporaries <coughs> at, at that moment were living in Santa Monica in in, in LA, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was great for us when we went over there. We always had a ready made o- audience, you know. But you know, uh, it, it was pr- I'm sure it was the same for everyone, you know. This everybody was leaving, um, they're going to England, they're going to America, and uh, now it's now it's Australia or whatever, but it's 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 happening again, you know. And so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, per- parents moved to London in the fifties. Yeah, my parents moved to London yeah. in the fifties. So did Martin's. Uh, so when we wrote the song, we did a lot of shared experience on it. Um, we actually ended up using much more of the imagery from uh, his parents' experience because uh, they were from Cavan, and uh, so we had lovely uh, the waters of Moog and, and things like that. My parents were dubbed, so they, the imagery wasn't quite as, as vivid. But, uh, you know, they had the same experience. They, both sets of parents went to London, had the kids, came back to Dublin. And uh, anyway, she played a song and, and uh, yeah, it's, it speaks for itself. <laughs> OK, uh, OK, we play this tune. Uh, it's uh, The Long Acre. Um, and although you, you have written and co-written all all songs on the album yeah Leslie insisted that you sing at least one lead on the album and this is the one that was decided on yeah 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 Yeah, well what what happened was uh, myself and Martin had been down in in, um, a house in Wexford finishing the writing of the record we'd written I think the last five songs for the record and when we came back Leslie had been told by the doctor that she wasn't to sing for I think four or five weeks and we had just hired a, a big rehearsal rooms for four or five weeks to work up the songs with the band. So uh, I had to sing, sing and drum. It's how I actually became a singing drummer because it's hard to do the two. But if you're, forced, if you're yeah. forced into a situation for five weeks where you've got to sing and drum all day, every day, you end up a singing drummer. Uh, and uh, and now it's just like having your breakfast in the morning. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I ended up, we, we demoed a lot of the stuff uh, in Sun Studios, the, the demo studio there. And... Um, Leslie still was told she was to rest the voice, so I, I ended up singing a lot of the demos. And uh, so at the end of it, uh, Leslie said, "Look, you, you, you should you should sing one of the songs, and you know I think that song really suits you more than it suits me." And then it became the title track of Into Anua. Wasn't that wonderful? Uh, welcome back to the studio here with myself and Paul Bourne. Um, to Anua themselves, tell us all about them. Um, when did they start? How did it come about? How did it come about? Yeah. Um, Martin Clancy and Ivan O'Shea uh, from Martin from Sutton Ivan from Hoth um, 
They well, Ivan used to hang around with with a, with the, uh, the previous band I was in, uh, Deaf Actor, and uh, he used to do sound for us and lend our guitarist his guitars and gizmos. And then when we broke up, um, Ivan, who had he had a band himself and Martin had a, a sort of a band, uh, a bedroom band. Uh, they asked Jack and I would we start playing with them uh, on some demos they were doing where they were experimenting with lots of different musicians uh, so one recording could have fiddle, whistle, cello flute, saxophone, clarinet bass, drums, guitar, piano you name it You know, they were just they, they broadened it out to this big musical collective all around the Sutton Health area anybody who could play could play on their demos you know and uh, eventually, the uh, Ivan, who was a who was a great businessman, was he was going over and bringing demos to London to some movers and shakers over there, and it was getting a lot of interest. And uh, he came back and said, "Look, there's a lot of interest. We need to form a band." So we we uh, narrowed it down to six of us, uh, seven of us actually, and then um, Steve Wickham, the, who was playing violin, uh, he came off the U2 tour, the War tour. Uh, the Irish leg of the war tour he was he he played violin on Sunday Bloody Sunday and he just got to know Vinnie Kilduff very well who played Ill and Pipes on U2's second album and they both were hired to do the this Irish tour with U2 and they became great buddies and Stephen arrived back and said look I think uh, we should ask Vinnie to join he can play about 20 different instruments <laughs> so <laughs> we yeah. became an eight piece uh, and then a little while we, we, we went back to seven when the sax player left um, and then we signed a record deal with Island Records. Uh, actually, we started off. We we were Mother Zero Zero One. We were the very first record on Mother Records. We okay. Had a single call coming through that was quite successful here. Okay. Uh, and in the same month that we got signed to Island Records, we also supported uh, Bob Dylan and Slane, which was massive. Because in those days you didn't have the ten acts on; you just had four. So yes, yes, you know, yes. we went on at half two or something in the afternoon to eighty thousand people. My my. Uh, my my memory of it was coming on stage and sitting down and trying to control my foot on the bass drum pedal with the shakes because I knew that any, any little rattle on the bass drum would be heard <laughs> by 80,000 <laughs> yeah, people yeah. like a machine yeah. gun. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, so that was the sort of start of the big time for Intuitu and after okay. that we just we toured for for six years, made records and toured, toured with U2, toured with Simple Minds. We actually did the European leg of the Joshua Tree 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I believe yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break, um, but I, I want to I want to ask you a couple of things, uh, okay. a couple of more things about Tuanua, um, and we'll come back to that. And welcome back. Still here in the studio with Paul Bourne, and we were talking about Tuanua. Um, your debut single, coming through, um, and take my hand was co-written by Sinead O'Connor. You toured Europe and the USA, and you supported bands like Bob Dylan. You two, Simple Minds, and many more. Hmm. Yeah, um, you were active. Fleetwood Mac. We supported Fleetwood Mac. Really? Yeah, in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the Nuremberg Ring. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like it. Oh yeah, we did see. We 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 played in some huge shows, massive shows. Yeah. yeah you would have and been. then you'd do your own tour, and you'd be playing. You'd be coming back to all these cities and playing tiny little clubs. <laughs> yeah, I'm very close to another famous drummer. Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely wonderful. Okay, okay. So um, you came back together again, um, like like the mm. band kind of la- existed from nineteen eighty two to nineteen ninety. Yeah. 
But I think uh, at the earlier part of the last decade, I think it was probably 2004 to this yeah. day, um, three of you, I think, are back together. Yeah, Jack, Leslie and myself. Yeah. OK, and you... So 2004, yeah. um, you know, there'd been a, a really bad breakup in at the end of the 18, in 1989 during the recording of the last album, which never came out. And, uh, you know, there was a long, a big, a big split. Uh, and in 2004, um, I... Decided to ring everybody up and say, "Look, let's get let's meet for a drink." So we all got together and we got drunk. Great. And at the end <laughs> of the night, I popped the question: "You know, who wants yeah. who wants to do this again? Let's let's do something. Let's let's play at least one gig." And uh, so they all went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." And after a couple of rehearsals, uh, people started to drop out. You know, it was like, oh, maybe not." So we ended up with three of us. So I just padded it out with some some good friends. Um, like the likes of Leo Rickard on pipes, who had actually always filled in in Intuanua if 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 our piper was was sick or unavailable. Leo had had done a few Intuanua shows with us in the eighties. So, okay, okay. Um, we uh, we had different different. Two thousand four, we had Maraid Nesbitt on violin. She's the famous blonde from Celtic Woman. And yes, yes, um, she's very good. And then in two thousand and five, we got Con Woolrich. Um, and then we did nothing for a few years, and then. Um, I was, I bumped into uh, um, John Reynolds one day, uh, and he was saying that uh, who you know he used to run the, the electric picnic, and he was saying any chance of uh, of Intuanua ever reforming. I said, well, John, you know if you uh, if you give us a slot and a decent slot on electric picnic, we we can put the band together, no problem. Uh, he said, okay, done. So we ended up doing a, a major slot at, at that in 2011 at the picnic. And uh, we put put a really really good band together for that, and uh, I think it actually sounded better than the original. The 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 uh, the lineup we had that day was fantastic, mm-hmm. and the plan was to go on tour after that, but that just never happened. We we had a bit of a uh, a mishap with an agent who turned out to be uh, not an agent. <laughs> <laughs> right, and that uh, that was in LA, wasn't it? No, this was here. Oh, this was. Oh here. no, we broke up in LA in eighty nine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. This I'm talking about. Yeah, two thousand eleven. Oh, oh really? Here, the electric oh, picnic oh, okay. where okay. we, we yeah, yeah. on the back of the electric picnic and the re-release of All I Wanted, we re-recorded All I Wanted because we didn't own any of our own recordings. You know, Island and Virgin Records owned everything and anything, any airplay, anything. They they were getting the money, so we decided we wanted to own. Uh, at least one master so we re-recorded All I Wanted uh, okay. it was called All I Wanted the 2011 version we released that on the day that we were announced for Electric Picnic so all the DJs in Dublin and Ireland got a, they got a press pack in from us with the announcement that we are doing the picnic and a new single so it worked very well yeah good timing we had a whole yeah. summer of publicity mm-hmm. the idea of building to the picnic and then doing an autumn tour but this guy that we that approached us wanted us to wanted to be our agent and, and book the tour for us. This was around May, I think. So he, you know, would have been four months leading up to an autumn tour. Uh, the week of Electric Picnic, his his uh, new partner in the business uh, rang me to say that the guy was a complete Walter Mitty and that none of the every he rung all the venues and we weren't booked for any of them. <laughs> okay, so right. there's a lesson to uh, to be learned on that one. To yeah. a few few young uh, young bands there, you know, yeah. check make sure you you uh, you meet you get FaceTime with your agent and uh, and find out a bit get a bit of background from other agents 
and other people in the business about someone because he, he pretty much ruined a, a possible year's work for us there. Yes, an awful and pity. Yeah, and, and yeah. We, uh, we, so we then, you know, we, we, we were sort of, we had a bad taste in our mouths after that and didn't do anything for a while. And then a few years ago, a mate of mine, Keith Garrity, asked us, would we headline uh, the Olympia for Pieta House? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. Would, I, would I give him a hand organising it? So myself and Keith um, put our heads together and we've done three shows in the last four years. And the most recent one, which was on the 2nd of April, we finally filled the Olympia to the rafters. It was a great night. We had villagers, Jerry Fish... Uh, Monday it was a great, great, great yeah. night. Christy uh, Dignam even. Christy yeah. couldn't make. Christy actually ended up getting sick. Was in hospital. Uh, but he was. He got to sick be. about a yeah. week before. Oh right. Okay. But uh, we did. I'm sure if you, you there's clips all over YouTube. We because we were going to do, um, Crazy World with Christy at the end as a finale. We got all the singers from the night out and we did it. We all sang it for him. You know, as a tribute. Excellent. To him, you know, Excellent. Nice. Yeah. 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 Very, very good. Very good. <coughs> well, still, um, you know, 1982 to 1990, um, eight years of uh, tremendous success all yeah. over the world. Yeah. Congratulations to Antonua for that. And uh, certainly you're, you're still back together and you're doing some gigs. So, yeah. um, you know. We'll, see, we'll uh, see what happens, you know. Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, if the right agent makes the right right offer, we can, we can put a show together in the morning. But it's... Okay. It's a bit like a super tanker, you know. It's it's a big show. You can't just go. Ah, yeah, we'll do we'll do, you know. Yeah, yeah. Wheels yeah. next week. It there's more. That th- there's yeah. more to it. Yeah. Than and that. Maybe, maybe everyone has day jobs, and yeah. you know, if you're going to take time off to do a couple of weeks rehearsals for a tour, uh, it, you have to know that everything is in place. Yes, you know. absolutely. Okay. Um, the Drays, Paul. Tell us about the Drays. The Drays. Yes, yeah. Stephen Ryan um, is the mastermind behind the Drays. He was in a band in, in the 80s called the Stars of Heaven, who were the darlings of the press. Um, everybody calls them the the Ari, Ireland's answer to R.E.M. Uh, he was called Ireland's Michael Stipe. Uh, they did more John Peel sessions than any other band ever, I think. They were John Peel's favourite band. Uh, and they sort of broke up at the end of the 80s without any massive uh, sales um, or worldwide success yet. Every journalist in the UK and Ireland, you know, had them at the top of their list of their favourite bands. So it was one of those ones that got away, I suppose. And then he had another couple of albums in the 90s with a band called the called the Revenants, who again were very successful in 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 this low key indie sort of way. Okay. Um, and then um, a few years ago, he came in to record in the studio with myself and Connor, and uh, it was a started out as a solo record but as we started working together it, it he realised uh, he had the the, the, form, the, the the foundations of a really good band and um, so we, 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 we made the record together gave it a name The Drays and it came out and went straight to num- in, number one in the Irma indie charts in Ireland and went straight to number 11 in the album charts and I think it was the highest selling vinyl that year in Tower Records so but in, nice. it's all in a very indie underground sort of way but it's it's great music um, Connor really uh, pushes me to the limit when I'm uh, coming up with the drum parts uh, him and Stephen uh, for it you know it's um, there's no easy way out they want they want they want the best out of you yeah and yeah, uh, yeah. and they came up with an album um, Look Away Down Collins Avenue 
Yeah, yeah. So there's a sort of a reference yeah. to Warren Zevon there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you actually, you have a favourite track from their album. It's called uh, The Fourteenth Floor. Yeah. That's right, and we're going to have a listen to it. The Fourteenth Floor by The Drays. Paul's favourite track from their album, Look Away Down Collins Avenue. And Paul was really pushed to the limit by the producer, Conor Brady, to come up with all the different drum parts throughout the song. So Paul had to draw in his... Um, Inner Ringo? I had to draw on my inner Ringo, yeah. <laughs> well, Ringo was such a great parts drummer, a song drummer. He, he would have a different part for every section of a song, you know. Yeah. Uh, and yet he would, he would somehow you know, manage to groove the track at the same time. So uh, that was kind of the challenge uh, on that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're working on the second album now. We've got five songs recorded and uh, a load of half-written songs, so... Uh, hopefully, we'll have that have that done by the end of the year. Okay, okay. It's a slow process when you're all when you all have day jobs, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And you're involved in so many different uh, angles of bands as well. Yes. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Um, well, I play in a covers band, but that yeah. that's you know you yeah. can't you can't really practice. Well, some people can, but I don't have anywhere to practice uh, the drums, and I was never really one for sitting down and practicing on my own. I like to play with people. Yeah, know? yeah. So I'm. I've always been in some sort of a of a live band, you know, weekend band, just to keep playing. So I'm, I'm with a, a great band called The Guilty Party. We do lots of Bowie and Roxy music, and you know, even some Zeppelin and Floyd and stuff. But uh, it's just a great way of keeping my hand in and uh, and and making a few bobs. So uh, actually, we're playing Duffy's in Malahide this Saturday night at that, ten That's o'clock. with the the Guilty Party. That's the Guilty Party. Yeah, 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 yeah. They seem to be doing very well uh, of late. Yeah, well, we're doing a lot of a lot of residencies, you know, Hoth, Rush, Malahide, that sort of stuff. We were one of the the regular bands in Whelan's in the front bar, and then the management changed, and they've no bands there anymore, which is a pity. Okay, okay, okay. Um, what about Rocky Rocky Devalera, <laughs> the Groove Diggers, the Grave Diggers, the Grave Diggers? Sorry, yeah. Groove Diggers the would groove have been di- a better name, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, that you see. Um, Jack Dublin, the bass player in Intunua, he he was in Def Actor with me before Intunua, and before Def Actor, he was in a host band called Rocky Devalier and the Gravediggers, and that's where we robbed him because he was so 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 great. So when we went looking for a bass player, we we robbed Jack, and uh, at this re- Intunua reunion gig in two thousand and four up in Hoth, um, Ferdy McKenna, Rocky himself, was at the gig. And afterwards, he said, are you guys going to be doing much? And we said, oh, it's probably just a one-off. We're not sure. And he said, well, I'm putting the Gravediggers back together and we're going to do a few gigs. Would you like to play? So Jack uh, Jack said, oh, yeah, I'd love to do it again, that that uh, good old rock and roll. And uh, would you do it, Paul? I said, oh, yeah, I'll do it. So we got a, a couple of years out of that. We did Podge and Rodge, which was great. Really? <laughs> Fantastic. <Yeah>. Lovely. <laughs> Podge and Rodge show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was yeah. good. It was good old rock and roll, you know, very um, like sort of the London pub bands of the the early seventies, you know. Yeah. Well, yourself, yourself and Jack Dublin uh, together, you played several shows as part of a backing band, backing Shane McGowan. Yeah. And you, uh, you've you've already recorded an album, or you're still working on that as part of the Shane Gang? No, it never happened. Never it, happened. It never it was worked a pity. out. Right. Yeah. When Shane Shane was living here, well, he is living here, but when he came back to live here, he he. He wanted a, a rock band, uh, and um, I was asked what I play drums, and uh, then we they they said who we get on bass, and I said well I said what about Jack? We played together for most of our lives, so 
uh, we, we Shane put this great band together. We did about five shows, including the big failure in London to about six thousand people in a big circus tent. Uh, and Mick Jones was at one of our shows. Mick Jones from the Clash, and he wanted to produce the album. And I believe Johnny Depp wanted to play guest guitar on it. It was, you know, it was all looking very exciting for a while, and then unfortunately Shane lost interest. Ah, oh, right. Okay. And okay. Uh, it never happened. So. Yeah. But still, between yourself, Paul Bourne and Jack Dublin, uh, <laughs> you're still together. Uh, yeah. Well, that's where the guilty party came from. Great it's, stuff. It's yeah. the, the guilty party uh, is the Shane Gang. It's it's without the Shane Gang without Shane because yeah. We, yeah. We were playing together for a year uh, as the Shane Gang, and and when Shane lost interest, we said, "Look, this is a really good band." So we just yep. turned it into a covers band and uh, started playing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, so Paul Bourne and Jack Dublin, bar mitzvahs, and uh, bottom on the edge, eat your heart out. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, Paul, uh, uh, just to come back to yourself uh, personally. Uh, your own album, hmm. "Cruel and Tender Ways," which was released uh, in 2014. Uh, you toured uh, in Ireland to promote the album with a seven-piece band. Yeah, uh, who are they? Most of mostly the Guilty Party. Most of okay, uh, okay. My sister Lorraine on back and vocals, and right. Connor Brady who produced the record on on lead guitar. So. Okay, um, and how how did the tour go? Uh, it was tough, you know, tough to to, to pull crowds. Uh, I suppose the trouble for me being uh, in in Tuanua was that you know all the attention was on our beautiful lead singer Leslie um, and after yes. 10 years 10 years of playing or 7 years of playing at the top level I had literally no profile at the end of the 7 years like, it just no one's going to notice a drummer in a band but one for one that has 7 people uh, and you know it's got this beautiful lead singer and then it's got this amazing violinist and it's got Ill and Pipes so many interesting things to be interested to, to, to take your you know so basically, the, you know, the, the drummer, the bass player, and the guitarist are like the last people you're going to notice, and we pretty much ended up with no profile at the end of it. And uh, I suppose, yeah, it was the same with the Beatles. Ringo was always in the background right. until until much later. Sure, yeah, that was yeah, a four yeah. piece. It's different, you know. Seven yeah. pieces like an orchestra, you know. So who's going to remember anyone? So I had literally no profile. Yeah. So even though you know I wrote a good deal of the songs for Intuna and co-produced most of the records. The you know the, that stuff doesn't really get noticed by your average punter. Yeah, so when yeah. you come out and do a solo record, you're hoping that the avid fans might remember. And uh, I suppose I might have left it too long. You know, thirty years later, a lot of them had forgotten. So we didn't get the crowds. The record did very well. You know, it sold yeah. quite a lot, and uh, okay. it's had a huge amount of shares and and stuff on Facebook and YouTube. Wonderful. Uh, and the last single, how to come how to come back to you mm. uh, with strings. With strings um, is this the extra version we did with with real strings because the album version just had uh, the keyboard strings. Yeah, and then and we did and a single with the real orchestra. Yeah. It got shared extensively. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just didn't get the air, airplay. Mm. However, we're going to give it airplay now. Welcome back. Um, that was Paul Bourne. How to come back to you with strings? The last single of his solo album. Um, we're now coming close to the end of today's program. Paul, it was wonderful to have you with us today. Uh, an absolute pleasure. It was great being here, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, tell us, any plans for the future before we finish up? Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I'm always I'm always writing yeah. songs, so yeah. you know, it, it. We'll see. We'll see okay. what happens. Okay. Yeah. You, you have a website address. Yeah, yeah. You can get me at paulburnmusic.com or Facebook paulburnmusic. Okay. Wonderful. And you have a Facebook. But yeah, you just yeah, mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, I mentioned, mentioned that. that. There's, and there's videos and everything on there. Okay. 
Okay. Paul, thank you very much for coming in to us. Um, Thanks for having me, Johnny. We'll talk again. All right. All the best. Take care.